This episode is made possible by our generous patrons. Welcome to episode 135 of the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm Luke. And I'm James. And this week we discuss Richard Matheson's 1954 novel and Francis Lawrence's 2007 film, I Am Legend. So uh, watching a movie about a pandemic in the time of a pandemic was a pretty surreal experience, uh, on my end at least. How, how did it go for you? Yeah, it was honestly a little too real. Um Never have I thought of this movie in the same way that I did on this viewing. I've seen this yeah. movie countless times. It's on TV constantly, or at least it used to be. Um, and, you know, catch parts here and there. But this this time really was different. And there were things that I was picking up on saying like, oh, that's not how things are done in a pandemic. Uh, this is actually yeah. how things are done in a pandemic. So right. it, it's, it was definitely very interesting. Right. And, and reading the novel too, um, you know, which is a classic for, for many, many reasons we'll get into. Um, you know, just this whole project right now was very timely. Uh, it was a commission by a couple of our patrons, uh, Stephen E. and Jamie D. Um, split this one. And shout out to them. Uh, hopefully they watch it too, you know, maybe read it. Um, I want them all to experience, maybe some of our listeners too, I want them to experience this right now if, if we're going to do it. Um, it, it, it makes you think, especially in the in the current environment. While we were covering it, just in general, I was like, is this too, too fresh right now? Like, I felt yeah. like this potentially was going to be something that we shouldn't be doing right now. I mean, it was commission. And, you know, I think I think finding sort of an escape, even though it's not an escape, it's kind of going back into it. But f- seeing sort of a fictionalized version of this that seemingly is worse uh, is, is, I don't know, kind of therapeutic, yeah. I guess, but at the same time, kind of horrifying. <laughs> yeah, I guess I didn't find the therapy there, uh, personally. Uh, in fact, it was pretty horrifying. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm sort of tongue in cheek when I'm recommending this. If you're, you know, I'm not actually recommending it right now. It's probably a little bit too fresh. It hits a little bit close to home. Unless you're the kind of person who you know it's not going to bother. So, you know, then you can check it out if you haven't seen it. But we're going to get into, I have issues with the story, um, especially as a modern reader. Um, yeah. I have issues with the film. Um, I don't think either of them is sort of perfect, far from it. Um, and we'll talk about, you know, some of our criticisms throughout. I think for this episode, we're going to split it into two, roughly. We're going to spend some time talking about the novel uh, specifically before we get into the film, um, just to give it its due, which I think it's, which I think it deserves. Supposedly, I Am Legend was was so, it was the most influential book that Stephen King said he ever read. Uh, did yeah, you see this? Yeah, I can see it. Well, yeah, I, I saw that. I was really surprised to hear that. I mean... And I think the main thing was, as I started the book, I I didn't know when it came out. And, mm-hmm. you know, a few chapters in, I was like, let me go and look and see when this book actually came out. And I was surprised at how far back it was, because I have read yeah. it before. And it feels modern up to, like, the halfway point. And then something happens yeah. that kind of doesn't feel as modern. Okay. Um, yeah, 1954 novel. It's uh, I've, se- I've seen it called the first modern horror novel. Um, and... I think the reason it's dubbed that is because it unifies science and like the magic sort of mystical nature of vampires and horror. 
Um, and that hadn't really been done. That hadn't been done before this. So this was a this was a new idea to say there's a scientific explanation for vampirism. Mm-hmm. I mean, people love this stuff nowadays, right? Like you see it all over the place. And this was one of the first times it had been done. And uh, I think another important figure who cited this as a direct inspiration, uh, Romero for Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, I totally can see that. And yeah. it's only like a decade later that he would make Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, he said you know, he had he had written the screenplay as sort of a ripoff of Richard Matheson's novel. Yeah, uh, so. crazy to think of a time before Romero's Night of the Living Dead and the zombies yeah. that we know in pop culture and stuff. And, and that's why like this sort of blending of a vampire zombie seeming entity in this in this story i don't know i was i i think and i think the twist the sort of moment where you know he's he's talking about all the folk and the folklore of like vampires mm-hmm. and how they were all built up and why crosses affect them and why you know stakes are killing them this and that uh and then eventually the scientific the the twist of the scientific reasonings behind it the bacteria the germ uh, I really thought was was even today compelling. I thought that even you yeah. know even though so many things have done it since, I think that it still stands pretty pretty solid as a premise. Yeah, I mean you got to go back and give sort of credit where credits due. Um, if you're a fan of this kind of storytelling, I mean, I even saw in my research Fallout. The creator of Fallout, one of the one of the lead programmers, said that this novel is one of the inspirations for it. Um, so well, I, mean, I mean, clearly it's, it's, there's lots of other inspirations, but th- th- this is, you know, kind of going back to the, to the, to the man alone in the, in the, in the future after sort of humanity has been wiped out by something, yeah. any story like that, like the DNA goes back to this novel. Yeah. And I feel like it, it has to, because it's, it's sort of keying in on this isolation and what it does to the mind when you're, when you're alone mm. and what you do to survive and, and what you would have to do and how sort of adaptive you'd have to be and how you'd have to teach yourself science and you'd have to teach yourself how to do all these things it reminds me a lot of any sort of post-apocalyptic story that we've that we've gotten maybe ever i don't know it it makes me think of a lot of them it has to absolutely um you know in further evidence of this in 2012 the horrors writers association gave i am legend the special vampire novel of the century award (laughs) which i don't know if they just invented that award to give it give to it but it sounds like it but i mean it's 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 considered you know just hugely influential and in vampire fiction and modern horror in zombie fiction all over the place and uh you know you got walking dead you have just just so many massive franchises that you know owe a lot to this so i want to give credit where credit's due definitely i mean every i think every filmmaker that makes a zombie movie looks to george a romero right and yet george right. a romero looked to this book so it just goes to show right. like how how influential this was um i do want to talk about this sort of like hyper intelligent well, maybe not hyper intelligent, but this intelligent still, even after becoming like sort of a vampire zombie um, creature that's in this story versus what we get in the movie. Just just to right. compare really quickly. Uh, what do you think of the fact that these they still hold humanity? It seems like they still are their human selves. And I know that he goes out of his way to say like they're not and they have to be killed because they'll kill him. But it'd be a lot harder to kill the the vampires in the book versus the zombies in the in the film. And I guess nearing the end, they they you know they try to get into some of that with the film, but they're not speaking in the same way that they do in mm-hmm. the book and like remembering things from the past. Yeah, uh, which we'll get into when we get to the film. But there's an alternate ending that we both watched where I think it's more in line with what goes on in the novel. 
Um, but you're referring to Ben Cortman, I think is his name, uh, the the neighbor who stands outside of Robert Neville's house calling to him every night, um, taunting him essentially. And we get yeah, we get these descriptions of the women who are like revealing themselves to him as he's looking out at them and he's being tempted mm-hmm. and um just a series of things that i find pretty objectionable as a modern reader uh to start this novel off that was pretty rough um and it's really hard for me not to see this whole thing as like a veiled allegory about you know race uh it, it's it's tough and, and i'm not saying that it absolutely is that i don't know enough to say that but it it just there's a there's a he goes on a weird tirade at one point where he is directly making fun of the idea of prejudice against the vampires mm-hmm. and he, he's making all these jokes about it and i think he says like he wouldn't let his daughter date one or something he's saying it as a joke but he's referencing a racist thing that people would say um and so it's like deliberately pointing you towards this thought so I don't know. Um, I, I've seen the descriptions of it as uh, Matheson having sort of a, a erratic, <laughs> you know, paranoid mind. Uh, people were sort of getting from reading this. So um, is there racism there? I don't know. Uh, maybe he's just trying to create a character that's that way. Um, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. You know what I mean? It's hard to say for sure that the character's thoughts equal the author's thoughts. Um, I'd have to read a lot more of Matheson's work to know. I know we have covered one other story by him, but um, that's not enough, I don't think. Yeah, and it's not like these these are, are just these zombie creatures, right? Like because they nearing the end of the story, we get the fact that they are basically becoming their own society and everything. And right. so like it's not like they're just mindless. They clearly eventually show that they are basic I, I don't know, kind of taking over and, and seem to be the they're they're forming a society at least. And to speak to sort of the maybe racial allegory that's in there, the movie I think goes out of its way to kind of bump up against that you know i think there's the moment where where will smith's character neville is speaking about bob marley and how he he looked at sort of joy and happiness that you could spread as as like the cure to this this virus that is racism so maybe there's commentary there being made because of the novel yeah i like that I like that, you know, and, and that's that it is a potential uh, motive for why they included that scene, which I thought was was a pretty good one in, in a movie that overall I'm mixed on as far as like some of the some of the scenes I thought were really good, some not so much. Uh, we'll get into that more when we get to the movie. Um, so just focusing more back on the book, what did you think of his sort of like persistent, constant horniness and the way he was like always yeah. talking about his obsession with the women and how he's thinking about the women. And so, so to me, like it also, not only do we get the the racism, we got that blend of particular 50 sexism that we've come to come to experience on this podcast a little bit or, or, or pre whatever, whatever era where you just get something that, and, and there was a particular line um, where he was talking about how like he doesn't, he doesn't clean up anymore. And it was like, because he doesn't care and th- such things aren't important to me. And because I'm a man, and I was like, right. wait, what? Um, and it was like, you could have just left it at the former statement. The second one was unnecessary and only adds the gender element to it that was off-putting. So, again, you know, it's, it's me being a modern reader, going back to a 50s novel, and I understand that. But um, it's just tough. If I'm going to recommend this novel to people today, you know what I mean? Like, you just got to be aware that some of this stuff's in there. Yeah, I mean, it is unfortunate because... I, I- 
this story really I, I i had read it before barely remembered it but this story especially like i said the first half i think really was engaging for me and i think it had a lot to do with sort of once he found out that it potentially was a, was actually a bacteria wanted to investigate it and like teaching himself and and all of that i found to be mm. i i found that to be pretty pretty compelling and then the dog, which we'll definitely talk about, was we'll talk about probably it. the best part of the book for me, trying to become friends with the dog. And it was legitimately a gut punch because I remembered the, the scene in the movie, but I didn't remember how it went down in the book. But I was it was yeah. a gut punch when I, re- when I realized, oh, we're not getting any scenes where they're actually happily living together and like enjoying mm-hmm. each other's company and everything like that. Um, it was rough. And like I had my dog laying right next to me while I was reading this. And so it just made all the more real. And you're like, fuck, like why the, the dog's yeah. in dog's in danger yeah con- content warning for uh for for dog dog death in both uh this book and the film right um you know what i mean like that hit hard in both um i agree hit hard in here um i r- really wanted that dog to survive and be his buddy for at least a little while right it's just way more brutal than even the even the movie well and the tone of the book is very dark and um I since I originally read this book, I have read The Road by Cormac McCarthy, and that book is relentlessly bleak. And um, and I'm not saying that as a criticism; like it just is that. And I I felt like that book probably owes something to this. And it's like he took this idea and turned it up to eleven, and made it even bleaker. But um, it, that was a moment that felt like it could have come right out of the road. Where there's this like faint glimmer of like, oh, this is this this actually might be something positive, and then it's just torn away from you and made even more, even just even worse, you know. So, um, yeah, that I don't know. That was definitely a brutal moment. Hit me too, you know. Long documented on the podcast that uh, I'm a huge dog lover. Um, have a couple myself, and yeah, kept kept thinking about them throughout both of these. Uh, watching the watching the movie and reading this. Yeah, the in in you know in the movie it's it it's really brutal as well, and we get to see it and actually see it happen. So it's it's a lot. It's it's rough as well. But something about the fact that like we saw scenes of happiness and a lot of great moments of of like chemistry be- between Neville and Sam, the dog in the movie, but not having that in the book is what I mean when I say it made it more brutal for me because it was like yeah. they were just getting to the point where they were going to be able to like enjoy each other's company and have a companion in this apocalypse, and then cut off yeah i mean that's a good point uh you also sam in the movie dies heroically saving saving his life right so you know having a hero's death i takes the sting off a little bit i think um you know as a result of that at least so yeah i can see i can see why why you would say that for sure um and like i said that's it's bleaker right like you know you don't even get you don't even get that whereas in the film uh sam is his companion and uh so i mean that's just a key difference as far as like the connection to the to to the dog so another moment that i think is really noteworthy is when his wife comes back from the dead and tries the door handle to his house and i i felt like that was the romero moment right like that was that was the zombie like inspired a lot yeah every i mean yeah every zombie movie ever right so even even your spoofs like Shaun of the dead have a scene like this and i love how how matheson set this up because 
it's like the doors moving the door handles moving and that he had had a conversation with his neighbor because they're supposed to dump bodies into this pit or this fire or something like that mm-hmm. and the neighbor had asked if he could bring his dead with with whoever had died with his family and neville has this freak out and he's like i'm not taking the body i'm not i'm not taking her anywhere and then mm-hmm. he thinks oh it's the neighbor coming to ask to to you know use the keys or something in order to take the dead body to to the pit and he, and then he opens the door and and it's his wife and she's speaking to him yeah I, i'm honestly i think back to season one of the walking dead when the where the zombies had like little remnants of brain activity and um you know, would do certain activities that were more reminiscent of their former lives. All that gets abandoned later on in the show, but <laughs> when, it, when it changed showrunners multiple times. But um, I find that incredibly creepy, right? Like the idea that they could still have, because as soon as you start drawing ethical questions, right, of like how much of the former person is still in there, then just killing them all outright becomes a trickier proposition, right? Like it's it's more fraught. Honestly, that's why I lean towards the first the first bit of the book for me feels more real than what we get in the movie because in the movie we're sort of seeing this character who had some involvement with the pandemic in some way, whereas this is just like kind of an everyman. Yeah, he's not he was not part of the team or anything. He like educates himself about the virus and that's how he's right. able to learn all the stuff that he learns. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so I want to talk a little bit, you keep referencing sort of like beginning, ending of the book. There was some turning mm-hmm. point, which <laughs> sounds like it turned you off. I just want to know, like, you talk about that and, and let me in on what you're, what you're thinking. It was really sharp, concise storytelling up to the point that Ruth is introduced in the story okay. to me. And part of it has to do with the, the treatment of women. Part of it has to do with the depiction of women, but also it just lo- felt like it lost its way. Like there was no real, it didn't feel like it was heading to sort of a conclusive ending that I thought made as I, it felt like the, the setup of the story was going to be more of a payoff, I guess, than what we got in the second half of the story. Um, it gets kind of convoluted. I think when you start to introduce this character and she seems, first of all, he like chases her down, like beats her, takes her back to his house. Yeah. The old, you know, slap her across the face to make her, get a hold of herself you know right exactly <laughs> and so all of that was not great and then don't be afraid of me he, slap yeah that's, and uh, then he she's there and he's like thinking if he's like thinking like oh how, what if we fall in love in like a day and like tomorrow all this crazy stuff like sort of kids and yeah yeah all this i mean i told you this guy's this guy's extremely horny yes and and then we get into the stuff where it ter- turns out she's not w- what she says she is she was she was telling the story about how she had a husband who uh, who died recently and they'd been surviving and he he keeps getting these red flags and he's like why like how does this this doesn't really make any sense come to find out she's like the the sort of scout in this society of vampire zombies who's like been sent to test him or yeah. take him out or something so there is a distinction between the vampire zombies I, they're not called zombies but the vampires who are dead and then the vampires who are alive right and she's part of this group of vampires who are alive who do kill all the vampires who are not alive when they show right. up and he says i love the moment just just because you bring that up the moment where he neville sees the the ones that are alive killing the ones who are dead and feeling like sorry for the dead zombie the mm-hmm. dead vampire zombies uh there's that moment where he see i think it's when uh his neighbor is killed right or like they're they're yeah. chasing after his neighbor yeah they yeah. kill his neighbor and he feels like attached to him he's like hey that's my neighbor who I, who talks to me every night right yeah 
but yeah, so I just felt like it kind of lost its, its, it felt like the, the train was off the railroad tracks a little bit. Like it seemed like it was going down a certain path and then kind of hopped off the tracks and like went off on its own sort of weird way that I wasn't expecting and didn't really, wasn't really as concise or interesting as I felt like it, the ending could have been. Okay. Uh, so for me, it, I guess it, it, it hit me different um, because to me, this was what makes this story unique among all the others that we've done like this is a pretty specific turn for i am legend and it's caught up in why it's called i am legend too right um it is he, he sort of is the last he is the the last remaining human and this is all to set up him getting captured and then him realizing that he, while he may be the last human the vampires are now taking over and he will fade into legend in the same way that Dracula was a legend until now. He references basically Bram Stoker's Dracula, which he had read earlier. Um, and he'll become a creature of myth, and humans will become creatures of myth, and the new society will be the vampires. And if you get, you have to move past the gross uh, potential allegorical things that could be going on here um, about other races or other types of people and calling them vampires and them taking over and like all this stuff, like changing of the guard, it can get pretty dark pretty fast. If you start thinking of it that way, which um, definitely not, you know, co-signing on that. Um, but if you take it at face value as a, is a fantasy story, you know what I mean? About monsters and, and what have you. And then this version of these vampires who are not as monstrous, they're definitely a little bit more like people. And then him sort of realizing that he, um, he is the last of all human humankind and that he, they will become a legend in this new society's uh, sort of folklore. I don't know. Like that's not, that's not where I expected the novel to go. Um, and that sort of, tw that twist um, I think is very specific to I am legend. And um, I thought it was interesting that in our film adaptations, we never really get that either time, even though one, one ending gets closer to that. Um, that mm -hmm. that sort of fundamental ending for this book is changed, which I'm not necessarily against. You know what I mean on the surface, mm -hmm. but I just think it's noteworthy that 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 is not where the where the movie goes. Right. I mean, I and like the title's great. I like the idea that uh, oh, like I am a legend passing into myth and all of that. But I, I think the events that led to it um, were it was because it was kind of just he got bonked on the head, taken, yeah. and they told him what was going to happen, and then that was how he became a legend, and that's the end of the human race. So I just felt like the the setup was kind of grand, and the and the ending was was a kind of smaller. But maybe that's the story that was there to be told. You know, maybe that's what he wanted. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's it was definitely different. You know what I mean? It's um, I think that's something that a lot of the other people who came later said. Oh, I want to tell the story with a different ending. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I want to tell a story that has a different goes a different route. And so maybe it led it like it was open to that because uh, I think a lot maybe a lot of people didn't like this ending. I mean, that being said, I also didn't really like the ending of either of the endings of the movie. But we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get so. into that. So I, I think it is also important to note that Ruth gives him suicide pills. Which yeah. so he is like killing himself at the end, which further backs up my my sort of assertion that I I think this novel is really dark, um, mm -hmm. and so tonally, um, I think to to sort of bridge into the movie here in a minute, um, that's one of the issues I think is that the tone of this book is very different than the tone of the film we get, 
um, at least at times. You know what this? You know what this kind of reminds me of is is when we covered Fahrenheit 451 and how the ending of the of the novel is so bleak, whereas the the adaptations that we've seen of, of Fahrenheit 451 didn't really lean into that. Yeah, the bleakness and and just how dark it got. Uh, this it kind of reminds me of that in a way. Yeah, I can see that. You know, written around the same time. Um, maybe maybe reacting to some similar cultural things. Um, but I, I am not a historian enough to know. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I do want to talk about a particular scene, which I've always liked in this novel. And that is the moment where he is out doing his like sca- scavenging slash hunting that he does. And he realizes that his he checks the time on his watch and he's like, oh, I still got a certain amount of time, whatever. And then he realizes that his watch has stopped because he forgot to wind it that morning. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's this sort of panicked you know, drive back to the house where he has to fight his way back into the house. And I just thought that that was like an exciting bit of action in this like fifties novel where I wasn't really expecting that, you know, like it, mm-hmm. it's actually a pretty kind of pulse pounding, exciting series of events. Yeah. And we get a similar scene in the movie. That's what I was going to say is like, and, and clearly the filmmaker felt the same way cause they basically kept that and just made it a little more modern. Uh, this feels like the beginning of sort of like your prepping, your preppers in the in the apocalypse like you know the shutters the, around the door the weapons the the way that you're able to use a generator to keep, to keep all these this food good and like sort of a system that, that you've created to I, I just feel like that whether this is the first time or not i think it, it works really well in this novel and it's very early on in this sort of story so i think this is like your your go-to badass in in like sort of a post-apocalyptic wasteland where where you just this guy's prepped he's got the bunker he's got everything set up he's going to research and find the cure he's drinking Um, whiskey like it's water exactly (laughs) yeah 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 and and i thought it was funny how he's like he's kind of taking care of himself in some ways he's like it's good job i'm brushing my teeth every day i have to be my own dentist now which you know a little bit too real considering all dentist appointments have been canceled uh, in our current environment um i was Mm -hmm. like yeah this is a good idea to keep brushing my teeth um and then he's like well if if that's true then why are you still drinking so much that's not good for you and then he's like shut up self um yeah. again a little bit too real so i, I don't know it's, it's pretty funny <laughs> yeah i i really that really did affect me i was like damn i kind of am my own dentist right now maybe i need to like doubly floss and make sure i'm doing all the special things yeah. and make sure i don't mess up my teeth right now yeah, I recommend it. <laughs> uh, all right, man. So I, I'm ready to move into this movie. I want to have time to, to talk about more comparisons between the two, which we can get into more. So this is a actually recent filmmaker that we've already covered. Francis Lawrence directed Water for Elephants as right. well as I Am Legend. So very, very recent coverage, actually. If you, if you go back, I don't know, three or four projects for us. Um he also directed uh, some of the Hunger Games movies, Red Sparrow with Jennifer Lawrence fairly mm-hmm. recently. So, And I talked about in the Water for Elephants episode, he's had some success with uh, music videos, worked with a ton of people. I actually saw that he directed Bad Romance for Lady Gaga, which is, I feel oh, like, cool. a really famous video. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, so I mean, to talk about this movie... Clearly, I think we both remember when it came out. We've seen it a bunch. Yeah. Um, no. No. Actually, I want to. I want to make a make a point here. I've, I think this might be my second time seeing it. Oh wow. Yeah. So I have not seen this movie a bunch. I, th- I saw it okay. when it came out. Although I, I, I don't even know if I saw it in the theater. I think I saw it like when it came out on DVD or something. And then I don't think I watched it after because I I remember I was very mixed on it. Um, still am, but I 
I kind of enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to, just from my initial memory. And I think part of it might be a current situation, and then part of it might be having read the book right beforehand to, yeah. to sort of have that it appreciation helps, for right? it. Yeah, I think it really does yeah. help. I've seen it a bunch of times. Like I said, p- pieces and parts here and there. I've seen it all the way through a few times. I think that when it came out, I was re- I was actually like, this is pretty good. I, I enjoy it, and I and I think the only reason why I didn't like love it was again the second half of this of this movie because i think the first half of this movie and specifically the first few scenes we get of of neville in new york post-apocalyptic like modern new york um and the way that he's tracking these deer and you know that we can talk about the cg for sure but the cg here is not bad not nearly as bad as the creatures we get um but we're seeing him track a deer with the lions and he's going through all that stuff seemed very cool to me And and it kind of feels very much what we get in The Last of Us, the video game. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like that in those first few scenes. Um, and I think that's where it's at its best. And we get the scenes of him going back to his house, washing the dog, Bob Marley. I mean, yeah. all that stuff is really solid to me, I think. And like the 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 change of, of tone when he shuts in as the as the as his watch beeps and, and the darkness falls and he mm-hmm. ch- like closes all the shutters and everything. I think all of that is really, really solid. So I've got, I've got a shout out just because you're talking about these early scenes um, and, and, and condemn uh, a scene that I absolutely hated and it starts the movie. So okay. it's a real bummer for me. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. Uh, him driving in that car, that red yeah. sports car. Mustang. He's, yeah. he, it, it, it feels like a commercial for the car, which I bet it was because I bet they got funded and that scene doesn't fit. He doesn't drive it ever again. He's in an SUV that has gasoline on the top and lights and makes a lot more sense for you to be going around in. It's a silly scene. He's like doing reckless, dangerous things for no reason. The dog is sitting in the passenger seat and doesn't move, no matter the fact that he's like swirling all around and taking harsh turns. And he tries to shoot over across his body out the window at one point with an assault rifle while he's going like 80 miles an hour down a road. It gets so dumb. It's so dangerous. Yeah. It definitely wanted to be an action movie in that moment. It wanted in to be In that very moment. Much, but but yeah. I, my theory is that that scene was added later, later because it doesn't make any sense. And then later when we see him walking alone through the grass slowly with the rifle in hand, that should have been the first scene. That whole thing that happened before that, unnecessary, felt like it was added after the fact. In order to earn a paycheck from from a sponsor to make to to get the uh, money they needed to do this movie, and I know that you have to do that sometimes, right? Like you have to get you have to get funding, but it was a shame, man. And I felt like they compromised something um, to put that scene in, and especially to start the movie that way, it just left a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, I mean, I t- I, I can totally agree with you there. That that wasn't specifically what i was talking about with the opening of the movie but yeah that definitely breaks up sort of what i was talking about which is the seriousness of of like seeing a man isolated alone in new york tracking these deer and you but, know seemingly yeah. for food and i agree um, but it undercuts all of that because exactly that's fr- what that I mean, opening yeah. scene that's so dumb like I, I, right. I agree like i wanted to like it more and i think i think there is a movie within this movie um that makes that sort of makes more tonal sense and is more about this man surviving um, and then there's like weird stuff they layered in there that felt like they wanted it be to to like be for trailers or to try and act like this was more of an action movie that it was. Uh, it was like they couldn't decide what kind of movie this was supposed to be. 
And rather than make it something that is more um, serious and um, somber, which would be more in line with the source materials tone, Mm -hmm. they also wanted to have it both ways. And so they kind of shot both movies and Mm -hmm. then weirdly edited it together. Um, Because there are scenes where I'm like, this scene is from that other movie and this scene is from that other movie. And it really felt to me like this, this, this movie had two different identities. Well, and I think that just goes to show clearly making our case for us here the ending there's two different endings which are two very different, different in tone so we'll yeah, talk about which like so yeah exactly that that definitely lends to that uh the other scene that i thought that you were talking about that ruined the movie for you which i felt was a huge shift in in the story in general was starting out in the very very beginning with the scene of the sort of the news and showing like the outbreak of the of the virus and how it all was like genetically engineered sort of medicines that created this super bug that went went across and went airborne and got everybody. I think opening with that is far less interesting than opening with what we get in the book, which is thinking we have these crazy monsters and then slowly getting the revelation that, oh, it was a disease, it was a virus instead. Um, mm. You know, I don't know that you can sell, could have sold an audience in 2007 on here's another vampire movie, another zombie movie. Right. Um, and then like kind of keep that hidden that it's actually that it's actually a virus. Um, but I think it makes for a stronger story when it is a mystery that leads like our our... our main character is discovering something along the way. Whereas I thought in the, in the movie, he's kind of a part of it and a reason why it happened. And he really only stays because he has, he wants to be there for ground zero and wants to be the person to fix everything because part of it is his fault and he feels guilty. That's, I mean, that's another sort of thing that always felt a little weird to me. He's a Colonel. He's a virologist. He's a badass, And he's also Will Smith. Like, and I say that not like jokingly, like he also kind of is Will Smith. He's very charismatic, if that's what you mean. Like he's very yeah. charismatic. He's quoting Shrek later, like word for word. He's so like he's almost too much for mm-hmm. one character, and and I wish it really felt like they needed to kind of pick a lane they wanted this character to go in. Um, yeah. And and yeah, it's like they're trying they're trying to do too many things. I think like like you say, it's them trying to to walk the fence of being broadly appealing and also being this really emotional, serious in tone film that's based on the source material. And I think that just is chopped up to what it is that that. I think is the exact sort of if you have an issue with this movie that that's where it stems from. Well, and I want to talk a little bit about the the way the vampires look. Well, they're not even vampires in this, right? Yeah, would you even consider them that? He doesn't really they're call like, them anything. I guess they're zombies. He, I think they call them dark dwellers at one point. Something like they're that. Mo- they're blood motivated is the only thing. Like they can smell the blood and they go after it. Yeah, it's the only thing. So they're kind of implied. They don't have vampire teeth or anything, though. I think they're just really yeah. trying to shy away from vampires, because especially at that point and even now, it's a very saturated thing and very loaded to call something a vampire. Um, so I get it, but I'm just I'm just guys, I'm resting on the on the novel and calling them that. But my point is, I think they look real bad, um, and I I feel bad for the for the people who are the animators, and um, they don't always look bad. There are times where they look okay, but something about the elongated jaws just really looks silly the way the clothes hangs on the body looks off and then just the translucent skin the fact that it feels like i don't know that there's ever a single scene where there's a practical version of this monster on in in the camera i think it's always Mm -hmm. been put in by cgi um and it, it shows and so it's real hard for me to suspend disbelief like i always am aware that i'm seeing cgi 
clearly I don't think that the monsters looked good, but I'm convinced and I have convinced myself that something happened in production and there was a design change in the creature or something like that because they, they even for 2007, they seem unfinished. Yeah. The creatures don't look rendered correctly. Like they don't seem like they were able to finish what they wanted to do. Um, and some of the time, like you say, they worked, you can tell the scenes that like the, the one specific leader, um, and, and maybe, and, and the female one that he experiments on as well, I think they look pretty good for the most part, but even so they, 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 it, it, it still like seemed like they weren't necessarily fully finished. And the ones in the background definitely were just like copy and pasted all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, not good. And it's unfortunate because so much relies on that. Actually, you know what? I can think of the one moment where I thought they looked best was the very first time we see them when he shines his light on them and they're all standing around huddled in a corner. And they're like, that was a scene from a different movie. Once again, I I swear, Um, which I love that when when Sam goes running into the dark and he has to go after him and he's so terrified that he like can't bring himself to raise his voice. and He's like quietly trying to call to Sam the covering up of the light with his hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and then reveal like there was a lot really good stuff going on here and like I kept like rooting for this movie like I, I wanted to like it more um, and you know I, I'm not someone who will let just like you know kind of junky looking off CGI completely ruin a movie for me so um, I, I, I do want to say that that was an issue but it is not the only issue there, there are other right. things that contributed during during the quarantine here, I watched The Host or rewatched The Host by Bong Joon-ho. And that movie is a, is a prime example of not great CG, but maybe all right for the time, but amazing storytelling where you're just what like, this movie's amazing. I want to say like 06, if I so had to guess. So maybe o- even 04, 05. Yeah, maybe like 04, 05, 06, somewhere in there. Um, but that movie is is amazing and like goes places you never you don't see really you know it's it's very unique and i think this one uh bordered on that but mostly felt like a lot of other zombie movies we've seen before and i wonder if and you know what i mean i feel kind of bad because i feel like i'm making a lot of like suppositions in here and i i don't know that any of this is true but i can see a situation where the monsters were scarier and then they decided they wanted this movie to be more broadly appealing and so they backed off of it a little bit and they made them less monstrous um and they i don't know like it just it, it feels like the mon- if the if the movie has two different identities i wonder if there was like a former version that had different looking creatures and then now there's this later version that looks the way it does like you said kind of yeah. unfinished uh, do you, did you see anything in your in your research about like do, them having to do any reshoots or anything like that was there ever like i don't know if that sometimes they don't make that stuff public is one of the issues you know so i didn't find any specifics about reshoots or anything like that but i did see that the creature designer patrick tatopoulos also created the aliens for independence day which will smith was also in okay. um, but those were you know the, if you've seen that movie you know those are mostly practical i'm assuming and they, I don't know, they look very alienish, and and mm-hmm. I think making these creatures so humanoid maybe hurt them a little bit. And I, I know they didn't want to go with like the decaying flesh or anything like that 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 you would see in a zombie movie because that's not sort of what they were going for. But um, I guess he his studio created three D sculptures of these designs, and then they were used as reference for computer animation. So they did create something physical, but it was never shot. They just always use it as reference. Yeah, and that can be helpful. You know, usually that that will make something look better. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's just a 
a flaw in the, in the way it was designed. I don't know. It's, it's yeah. tough to say. I mean, you know? and I, I, if, if I had to guess, I would think that it was just that the animators didn't have enough time. Like they didn't build in enough time, post-production time in order to create exactly what they were looking for in terms of like making it look photorealistic. But just the design overall is, is you know, I think the change in flesh, like the, how it turns a little smoky or darker and then and then gets very veiny. I think I like I, I think it looks good for like a disease to, to show like a disease is in this creature. But like you say, sort of making them then have like otherworldly like stretching faces in the screams yeah. and yeah. It just I think it was a little bit either too much or not enough, I guess. Yeah. It it gets into that uncanny valley and then also just it looking a little hokey. Anyway, yeah. let's move on from their design though. Um I there was another scene I loved, and that was um. I mean, there's a lot, there's several, and I want to shout them out. Um, one of them here was him going to the record store, and having all these mannequins set up, and and like trying to have kind of like a normal visit there, and then he he feels a little bit like he's maybe a little bit mad, you know, which which I appreciated. Yeah, that mannequin scene did stand out to me. Um, I felt like it was a fun, you know. I think this movie, like we've talked about, tried to blend some some different tones into this movie. Mm-hmm. I think this didn't necessarily fit with the tone of the source material, but I think this was a welcome scene um, because mm-hmm. it was unique and interesting. And you know, seeing this was a way to show the character without getting inner monologue, show the character dealing with the isolation. And I mean, even if it's just for humor. I think that the scene where he's like, Frank, come on, Frank. And he sh- ends up shooting the mannequin because he's <laughs> yeah. moved around. Um, that moment is amazing. And then the fact that like there's a trap that eventually they like use his stuff against him to trap him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I-, I feel like I would have liked to have seen a little more of the intelligence of the creatures before they just straight up used a trap on him. I guess we did see that one moment where it hopped out and in- into the sunlight to kind of, you know, get mad at him for taking away the, the female. But yeah, the that scene, the mannequins were definitely characters in the movie in in yeah. some interesting way. So you touched on it, so I have to highlight it again. Um, uh, this is another symptom of this being of there being two different movies here, because I think my problem with the intelligence is it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't mm-hmm. pay off, other than we have sort of a boss vampire who is sort of like ordering the others around and is particularly difficult to deal with. But then that intelligence goes nowhere. Whereas it yeah. felt like it was leading to something. Well, I mean, it's to say, you know, there's the coordinated attack. We get sort of the first wave of zombies are just like towards the towards the house when when they come when they follow them home. The first wave just like goes in and attacks everything gets blown up by by the car bombs. But then he like coordinates an attack the the leader. But I think it's depending on the ending that you viewed. Yeah, also. I'm, and, and when I say that, I mean theatrical because the alternate right. ending is the ending to the movie that sets up the intelligence. Go on. Right. It really is. No, I really do. I think that you could take this movie and cut cer- cut it certain ways, cut out certain serious scenes and have co- sort of a goofy, what the heck, a- apocalypse movie that ends with, I guess there's no goofy ending necessarily, but um, there's one ending that's like really bleak and one ending that's kind of not as bleak. Well, it's more triumphant. It's more heroic um, and not as bleak. And one of the reasons I say that is because it relies so heavily on this idea of God versus science. Mm -hmm. Um, This movie to me, and this is one of the fundamental mistakes of this movie, I think, and one of the reasons why it doesn't work at its core. And that is, you know, uh, the filmmaker made a movie that is anti-science in many ways. Even though it's specifically supposed to be a scientific story. 
Exactly. The source material is the first one of the first modern horror novels. And the, he made a movie that is... It starts off by saying that humans caused this. We created a virus that, made, that had this particular property to try and cure cancer. And how dare we play God? And then Neville's fundamental flaw is that he wants to fix it. And it's only when he let's go and he recognizes the butterfly wings and he thinks about the thing that is that his you know daughter said that he has this connection where he says oh i have to listen and now i'm listening and he sees the butterfly tattoo on her neck that version of the ending at least and it's that movie is very caught up in the idea of like he has to let go embrace god embrace the will of the universe and then right. only once he does that can he you know, die in a sort of a martyr way. And then, um, you know, which changes the whole legend thing at the end. Well, I think you can, yeah, I think it's either way though. It kind of leads to this conclusion because the butterfly motif is in both versions of the right. movie. If we're going to separate it. Right. Yeah. It's not like the alternate version. It gets rid of this whole problem. It still has the problem. It's just a right. little different. Yeah. I think this idea of him giving up, you know, they were humans were so focused on wanting to, you know, control everything and find cure cancer and go against in the in the I think viewpoint of the movie the will of God and then mm -hmm. we sort of start to see him like embrace that nearing the end. He's like, oh well, all of these things can't just be a coincidence. There has to be some larger hand of fate inner like at play here and sort of give like you said gives up and and um is is so the version that he sees the butterfly tattoo. Does he see it in both versions or does he only see it in the version? He sees it on the uh, on the vampire in the alternate version instead of on Anna's neck. Okay, yeah. So in on, when he sees it on the vampire version and, and gives the, like, sort of lets the vampires go on their own and have mm -hmm. their own society seemingly similar to the book, the source material, um, I think that is the version that we are talking about is somewhat like giving up, you know, there's sort of this fate that's been... I, I, either way, it's kind of fate all the way through because the butterfly tattoo. Um, but I think the the one key difference is the 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 vampire zombie like puts his hand up and creates like a butterfly on the window with like dust or something as well. Right. Well, and he's because the theory is that he's trying to communicate. He can't talk, but he's trying to communicate that she is the one. I'm here for her. Look right. at the look at the tattoo on her neck. I'm here for her. Yeah. Um, whereas in the other one, it's sort of cosmic because it is, it is in the breaking of the glass. So in the theatrical release to me is actually the one that is, that is way more leaning into the religion stuff into the God stuff. Yeah. For some reason I read them both as cosmic though. I read it both. Like how could this entity have known the tattoo would have not only association with the tattoo that she's there, I guess, I guess he was just trying to signal to well, her. Well, it's, it's right? the daughter. It's the daughter's message that makes it feel cosmic because how exactly. would she have? Yeah. No, and, and that's why I say that I think both versions suffered from this flaw. Maybe mm -hmm. one more than the other. But when you were talking about, like, the two different movies, one of them is very heavily, and the movie we got in the theater was very heavily, like, fuck science, it got us in this mess, we have to go on faith and God, and then we'll be okay. <laughs> and, um, you know, maybe he found a cure, but he found a cure for a problem that he basically created. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and I just, I, I just want to be on record to like, fuck this. Like, I, I, I hate this concept. I don't like this version of the story. Um, I don't like this message, especially right now. Um, it feels, it feels disingenuous, you know, and 
frustrating because the the thing that they're talking about is actually pretty cutting edge science. And the idea of repurposing a, a virus to cure cancer, this is the kind of stuff they're actually looking into right now and, and holds a lot of promise. And I hate the idea of like fear mongering in a movie like this and making people, because like there's such the, a, a natural um, human thing to think uh, that's too good to be true. So, so it can't be, or there's going to be a side effect that we don't foresee. And I, I'm totally fine with a cautionary tale and like a, um, a, a, like, I think it's good to put some sort of this, this, like a little bit of this out there to say, like, we need to make sure we're not going to go down this route when we do it. But there's another thing out there to say, like, you know, we're playing God and we shouldn't be doing it, which to me feels like the message that this movie ultimately portrays and the one that I don't like. I agree with you. And I, you know, I think this whole leave it up to God thing can be clearly, I, I worry that that's that, that people don't see, you know, if you are a person of faith, if you don't see the value in both of them, then you're, you know, that's the reason why there's people protesting, going back to work and this, this sort of thing in the streets right now. And I th- and I'm not saying that religion is the reason why they're doing it. I'm just saying that it's it seems to me that they're they aren't taking the science into into account, and they're not thinking about you know they they don't believe people well, or whatever. They're not listening it is. to experts because experts have been devalued. Right. I guess I feel I, I don't want to tie it to religion in the way that I just did, but it does seem like it's a it's a pretty easy step to say, well, God will take care of everything, and then not have to worry about all the scientific stuff, but. Anyway, the, I think just to speak to it from a narrative standpoint, also, I think this is the the God will, the God saves us or the God ending is the easiest thing to write as well. Like we're talking about re- telling a story and then ultimately saying like, well, God will take care of everything. Like you don't even have to write an ending to the story. You don't have to you don't have to explain things as much. You can just say like, well, God put it in this person's head that this person was going to know something, you know, know about the butterfly and God, you know, it, it, it just kind of threads these things together and it kind of, well, that's why Anna's here. He says, Oh, that's why you're here. You're here to get this cure from me. And, and he's letting go and he's embracing the idea of, of this all being faded by God. Right. It just feels very deus ex machina. It feels yeah. very like at the end of the movie, here is, here is God to save the day, which is like kind of the ultimate deus ex machina. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Um, and, and, and for sure, you know, but I don't want to lose track of the fact that there is a lot that I did like in this movie. Um, also, I want to shout out this dog actor, um, or, or, you know, or, or there may have been more than one. As I've learned from Pet Cemetery. often there are more than one <laughs> um, animal actors for different scenes. Um, but they got some great work, and I'm so glad they didn't CGI this dog the whole time. Like, how bad would it have been if it had been a CGI dog in every scene? Yeah, it, this these kinds of practical things that people I that dog is so endearing on screen because you know it's real, it's really yep. an actor, it's really there, it's really on set, it's really doing all of it's this. Really licking Will Smith's face, <laughs> you exactly. Know, like and that. there are moments it's so funny. Well, there's definitely the puppy, the puppy version too. I should say definitely a different one. Yeah, and it makes it that much more heartbreaking when he has to literally suffocate the dog, like yeah, s- kill the dog. Um, brutal, absolutely brutal. I was noticing in the performance of the dog, there are moments where you can see. You know, you, you're so focused on the scene that you don't really notice these things. But there were moments when I was noticing, like, when he got stabbed in the leg and he's, like, screaming. The dog kind of looks off screen to its trainer. Oh, for like, sure, you tell, dude. You can tell when it's, When like, you start looking for it, you can find it. Yeah. Yeah. and it, But it doesn't break my immersion at all. I'm kind, it kind of helps no, it. it's only on repeat viewings and if you're looking for it, really. And it kind of... I, I kind of find it to be, like, I'm like, wow, that's, like, a great performance from a 
dog. Like, yeah, I just it's great. Yeah, there's like a time where it hops up on the counter, um, and then it, he like shows it the 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 spam that he's found in the thing. But you can tell there's something in the sink specifically that it's trying to get to. Like, there's little yeah. things like that where like you can tell that it's being manipulated, but but it's fine. You know what I mean? Like, I would much rather have that than a CGI dog any day of the week. Um, yep. So I gotta I gotta um, I have to give an update on the waterworks situation for me. Um, and this movie got me at a particular scene um, where I found, you know, my cheeks were damp. Let's just say that. Um, yeah. And I feel like I got to keep touching touching in with this because I, I hate the machismo idea of like, you, you know, men should never cry and that you have, you know, you should always keep your emotions in check. So like, fuck all of that. I'm going to talk about the times where these movies make me cry. And yeah. this movie got me. Do, can you can you pick out what scene you think might have might have done it? I mean, I think the, the because you're setting it up the way that you are, I'm assuming it's not when he kills the dog. Um, no, nope. I think it has to be when the his family is killed in the in the helicopter, maybe close. You're close. It's okay. not when they're killed. It's when the daughter hands him the dog and yeah, says, Sam, you protect daddy. Yeah. And then we I, like, the weight of like everything the dog has done from that moment on and his connection to the dog and then knowing that the dog dies, like all of that right. hit me at the same time and just got me like slayed me. That's great. No, I think, and and like, I'm not an easy person to make cry, but when I do, it's like, it's, it's a big deal in a movie. So like yeah. when, I think when I do cry in a movie, it is notable and I think it's noteworthy. I think people, that's what we want out of our, out of our media exactly. like this. Like we, we want to be moved. We want to have these emotions. So to stonewall all of them kind of seems like it's defeating the purpose and saying like, I don't yeah. want to cry at this movie. Well, and plus it's like sometimes it's lying too. It's like you did tear up, but you were sitting there like choking it back and like trying to. Oh, no, no well, and I felt myself <laughs> over the years. I felt myself do that. You know, I mean, I would say years and years ago, but I've realized now to be like, oh, this is like a moment where I like this is like it's moving me to. It feels to good, tears, man. Which is something like, you should it's, lean it's cathartic, into. You know, right? And it's a big deal. Yeah. No, I'm with you, man. So anyway, I just want to—that's something I'm gonna—I'm gonna try and do, yeah, you know, going forward. Whenever I cry during a movie, I'm gonna bring it up because yeah. I think it—I think it's a—it's a credit to the film, you know. And, and if it's a cheap—if it's a cheap moment, you know what I mean, then I'll then I'll point that out. But I think this was genuine, you know. And this was like the culmination of everything with this dog because I didn't realize—you don't realize that because like there's this question of like he keeps saying like you're gonna take the dog with you and then i'm like why does he have the dog and then that's the the sort of answer to that question that's been narratively set up um so it just it just worked really well so i wanted to shout them out and, and you know that whole you were talking about like real real versus uh movie uh man it was it was it was something else to see those people and then to think about social distancing <laughs> and the crowds and, and going like, well, you shouldn't be doing that if this disease is well, being spread as easily as you're saying. And Exactly. If it goes and, and there's the moment where she's like, has it gone airborne and all of these things? Like I can remember moments early on in this pandemic where people were like, worried, like, is it airborne? Like the question is out there. It was out yeah. there. Um, and but specifically moments like when these jets come in and shoot, shoot the bridge like to, to Manhattan. I was like, well. I mean, it didn't happen. I don't think it would have happened. Maybe if it, it was really, really bad, it would happen um, and have like a full on military quarantine. But honestly, like our Amer our current America, I don't know that I see this ever happening. I don't see a pan. I, I just don't know if I see this sort of response. And, you know, maybe that ends up killing us all. Because it feels that, very extreme and very movie. I, I don't know. And plus, like it would it would be pointless. And it is pointless because the disease has already spread past Manhattan. 
when this happens. You know what I mean? And if it's as, if it's as infectious as it's determined to be, but like it, this is like true doomsday scenario. Ninety percent kill rate. He talks about like. At that point, like, who knows what would happen? It doesn't matter because it only lasts a few weeks before everybody's wiped out. You know what I mean? Like, uh, right. it, this is this is the the really darkest, darkest scenario. So, you know, I can grant it to them. Maybe something like this would happen as people are completely losing their shit and different parts of government are working against each other. And um, it's just a little bit too scary with what we're going through right now and how we see some of this playing out in some ways. And we see our leaders not uh, not communicating and not doing the things that they should be doing. Um, and I don't know, it's just, it's frustrating in different ways that I think it was difficult for people to predict until we lived through it, like how this would look in modern times. Um, right. Now it's like, oh, well, this is actually how it played out. But like, it was so hard to predict how this thing would play out. And, you know, and especially... Which is why when they did predict certain things correctly, I was like, damn, nailed it. I yeah. was always like... So, I've got to sh- I've got to get into something that I texted you about right before we started recording. There's a special feature on this on on my Blu-ray that was called like uh, cautionary tale science behind the film, and I watched it. And one Dr. Anthony Fauci shows up and starts talking to me about pandemics and starts talking to me about how we're overdue for one basically, and you know we we need to be prepared and like all this stuff. And I'm like, man, this is 2007. And the, the, all the scientists, they actually got to, they got to interview, they got to go into the CDC, talk to the people there and like interview all these, these specialists about pandemics. And I kept wondering, like, I wonder if they knew that this movie was going to be so anti-science and have such an anti-science message, in my opinion, um, or if they still just didn't care because they were like, we just got to get the word out however we can, even if they are going to cast us as the villains, because essentially they cast the scientists as the villains in this movie. This is the thing, though. You have to think that even when they were shooting, you know, this is probably pre-production. This is probably research yeah. that they did before production started. Even when they were shooting, they didn't fully know what the what the movie was going to look like. It's not until you get into the editing room that they can really, you know what I mean? Because we can see the changes that they made, which were small changes that completely changed the movie nearing yeah, the so end. So they probably didn't. Know. So like, they, I don't think they knew like what, if they were going to lean in as heavily. There's, I think, I think filmmakers make it so that they, I think they go for their, they go for their vision, but they also have backup plans that they can pivot into. And who's to say that this is like always what the God message was always the plan, or yeah. if it was a pivot, or or if it you know tested better with audiences or whatever. Right. Um, who's to say? Who's to say? Regardless, I'm going to put the link uh, so you can actually find this full feature on YouTube. Um, so I'm going to put the link in the show notes if you guys want to watch it. I think it's like 20 minutes long. It's pretty good. Um, the one warning I would give is that whoever made it thought it would be a good idea to intersperse it with graphic images of like flesh being modeled by different diseases. Um, and it makes it tough. Oh, not only that, but also tons of images of like people standing next to dead animals that they've killed. Um, whether it's like monkeys or bats or like snakes and like all the, like just, just tons of upsetting images interspersed these interviews with these experts about the CDC. And I thought it was a terrible decision because it makes it really difficult to watch, man. Um, so be aware if you want to check it out. Um, I liked the message behind it, but whoever made that little, that little thing and decided that that was how they wanted to present it, I think did it a disservice because it makes it very difficult to watch. I'm going to I'm definitely going to have to check that out. I watched the first few minutes. But um yeah, so I wanted to give us one more chance to sort of talk about 
how we felt about the movie, just because I feel like we did say a lot of negative things, maybe some positives for, I think we definitely hit on some, some significant positives, but yeah, uh, I do want to say that I, like you said early, I think that I am, I appreciate this movie more than I thought that I did. My memory of this movie was that it was not that good, was, mm-hmm. was that it was, it was very just okay. And I would still put it in sort of that, that realm. Like I enjoyed watching it this time. I felt, I thought that they had some really interesting things to say about, you know, pandemics with currently what's going on. And, uh, you know, maybe with some better creatures and some better decisions, which we haven't even really talked about this, but let's just bring this up real quick. Maybe with better creatures, some better characterization for some characters that show up later. I, I think I would have enjoyed this movie more. And like you said, I think there was sort of a better movie w- within this movie, mm-hmm. but we didn't really talk about the, uh, I think her name's Anna and Ethan, right. That show yeah. up uh, and how they change the movie. And I know, you know, this is the Ruth moment from the source material, right? Like we get right. this, like this monkey wrench thrown into his life. Um, but it doesn't, uh, I felt that they were just there to be sort of, liabilities for him like i felt that they were in there so that when they were in danger he had an another motivation similar to what they did with sam where when sam was in danger he was willing to do whatever he could to save them which would which would set up the sacrifice moment or set up the sort of continuing on with sort of a a new family dynamic with like a you know a mother a father and a child whether or not they would all get together and act like that um, would be determined after the movie, but so I, I guess just what did you think about adding them in, and did they add a lot? What did you think of? Because uh, I felt that that again was sort of after the death of Sam is sort of the downfall of this movie as well, where where it starts to sort of lose its way and isn't quite as interesting as the first half. I agree, and I think it's because it was mishandled. I think uh, Anna should have been alone; she should not have had the child with her. I think that that casts her way more as into this mother sh- mother role. Um, and it also makes her very clearly re- replacement family for him, which um, I didn't like. Um, and then she should have been more hard-boiled survivor. She, this is someone who's been dealing with this. Like, why is he the only one who has has like developed a way of life and a way of surviving? She did not feel like this is someone who's been surviving this apocalypse and having to deal with these for um, for three years for yeah. for years. Yeah, she should have been every bit, if not more, intense and extreme. And, like, she's developed a survivorship. And And I thought they were going to lean into that when she saves him from his very dumb, I'm going to take my car out and run into a bunch of them and do nothing and then die. Like, it was a suicide attempt, essentially. Yeah, multiple things I have wrong with that scene, though. I I have to, since you brought that up. Number one, he had a message that he was going to be there every day at at midday. Right. It's the middle of the night. Why did she show up then? Why is she still there? why yeah. the the bridges were blown up to the city of manhattan so she wasn't in manhattan they traveled across the water which with a child isn't advisable in the first place like how did they do that you know granting them that they that they figured out how to do that the two different that movies man because at the end of the movie they're driving at the alternate version they're driving across a bridge again so i think in that version of the movie the the bridges didn't get blown up or one of the bridges didn't get blown up yeah it, it just seemed, yeah, it seemed like that that was convenient to say the least. And, yeah. and like I, the scene was cool enough, I guess the lights, I like the, the use of the lights, like the UV lights or whatever that he flips on all over the house and she has with on the truck or whatever they mm-hmm. have. I guess. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's like it's, a flare or something. Know, whatever it what is. It yeah. But I, I, his sort of doomsday bunker was, was kind of interesting. I like how he had the bomb set up in the cars. It made for an interesting big set piece scene that they needed to end yeah, the movie with. Cool. They felt, um, but yeah. Again, I I think that it, a better ending was was in wouldn't, wouldn't it wouldn't it have been better if she had been a hard boiled survivor 
who who was there and then they had to have like more of a conversation about how to how to go on and maybe she was you know holding out hope for this this colony you know what i mean but i think the the source material had its problems but i think the the idea of of someone seeing someone else in this apocalypse and not being suspicious after three years of them in, in some way uh seems convenient like she she immediately is like i'm gonna save this guy and all this and yet in the in the book ruth runs away from from neville the first time she sees him and i think that's sort of more what you would expect to see in three years down some post-apocalyptic road well and it's two different characters because ruth is a scout for this other society and everything if you're gonna have this anna character um i think you have to be you have to lean into like she's been following him and like trying to see if he's if he's any good and like you just have to completely change the character and um and make it make it make us believe that she exists in this world and this version that we got, I just didn't believe. Um, and then it leads to some weird scenes um, where he like he's suspicious of her at first, but then there's the Shrek moment, which okay, whatever. And then all of a sudden they're downstairs, and he's in his lab coat, and he and she just walks down, and she's like, "Oh, I was calling to you," and it felt like it was a different day or something. But then I guess it's not the day that it's supposed to be the same day. Um, and he was just kind of talking openly with her about how he had one down there on the table and it was no big deal. Whereas I felt like that should have been a big reveal. Um, it was, it, like I said, this movie's just kind of a mess. And especially at the end, I think it gets, it gets in its own way because it wants, it wants to tell two different stories. And, and there's all these remnants of this alternate ending that are being set up that then aren't paid off in the theatrical version we got. And um, it's tough because like, I can't watch this movie and just accept that there are two versions and go, well, well ch- choose your own adventure, whichever one you want. Like This movie didn't know what it wanted to be. It had an identity problem and it suffers for it. And I almost feel that like this is an era where, you know, today, nowadays, and maybe for the past decade, really, maybe it's it's kind of being done away with, but sort of, you know, you had your Marvel stingers where wait to the end of the credits. I think in this era, like sort of 2007 era, alternate endings were everywhere Uh, for some reason a lot of movies were getting alternate endings and i think Mm. i I don't know if it was a reason behind it like oh the studio wouldn't allow the filmmaker to have this alternate ending or if it was like they didn't know where to go with it i can see it being like hey let's go with the like let's go with the um the the ending that's tested better instead of the ending that's like you know the one i want is the filmmaker but i can just include it as an alternate ending and then that'll make me feel a little bit better <laughs> and then people are like but did you see the, did you see the alternate ending though because it makes it so much better you know what mm-hmm. i mean like that sort of thing similar to like a director's cut um and yeah. i think that that keeps people talking about it a and b it's like i think like you said choose your own adventure if you prefer one over the other you can tell people oh i like this movie but i like this ending i mean blade runner blade runner is an example where it has kind of successfully done that and continue to have this life but, right, but there's like a clear ex- reason why, you know what I mean? There was yeah. clear studio meddling, like, like, you know, Ridley was like, oh, there's been like, I, that's not my real vision, you know, when yeah. it was released, like it was out of his hands. Yeah, I don't know. And it's, it's tough to know like what you've made until it's, until it's all said and done and yeah. like what kind of legs it's going to have. Not to mention like you get to see the reaction of the crowd. You're like, oh, they didn't like that. So on the DVD, we'll have the alternate ending and see if they like that one more. Like, oh, they didn't like that he died. What What would it have looked like if he survived? And boom, there you go. Yeah, so I mean, like, are we touching on the reasons that people didn't like this? Because I feel like everybody I knew when this movie came out were like, eh. And do you think, like, what do you think that reason was? Was it just that Will Smith died? Because I don't think it was that. I think it was more just this, like, all of a sudden we've gotten into spirituality at the end of this movie where it it felt like a weird fit. It was kind of like the movie Signs. 
Um, I won't completely spoil that, I guess, in case you haven't seen it, but it kind of goes in a really similar route of like, this has all been preordained and like, it it was kind of hokey there too. And and it it feels the same here. Yeah, I think, I think it has to do with, I think the people who responded to this movie responded to the fact that it's Will Smith, post-apocalyptic, it's cool, it's, you know, we have zombies, and ultimately, like, there is some heart to it. Like, it's there's yeah. there's a lot there. I think that's what well, people and the, like and about the, it. The, the man and his dog in the, in the apocalypse, we've got a lot of this. Like, this has been yeah. done many, many times. I think it got, a lot of it goes back to this novel, and I think that that worked. Like, that was some of my favorite stuff. It's him and Sam. Right. And then the, I think the, the parts that didn't work for people were, yeah, w- when they were expecting a scientific sort of post-apocalyptic journey and, and then it starts to lean into religion or, or sort of not even necessarily religion, but just like spirituality and, and God. Mm-hmm. Um, not to mention, like like we've talked about, it seemed it's kind of a mess near the end. It just it yeah. just is. Well, it, it, in the and the design of the monsters, I think I remember a yeah. lot of people not liking. Yeah, it. that was huge. And yeah. I think the payoff doesn't match the setup. Like, I think people yeah. wanted a, a better payoff. Yeah, it, it, it you it's hard to put your finger on it if you don't know what you're looking for, but the movie was leading you somewhere with all of this stuff with the intelligence of the creature. And then and when you're in the theater and you see this theatrical release and it doesn't go anywhere, that feels it, it can feel wrong and I can see people not knowing why. And like walking mm-hmm. out and just feeling like, "Ah, I feel dissatisfied with the ending." It's because there was stuff set up that didn't go anywhere, and that's yeah. going to leave you feeling dissatisfied every time. So I think this is a good time to put a cap on this. Um, it feels like this is maybe a controversial episode of Ink the Film. <laughs> like I feel like there's a lot of stuff in here that right now um, people are going to have strong feelings about. Um, so I don't know. It's interesting that we ended up doing that. Maybe that's what our patrons wanted by commissioning this project. <laughs> I don't know if they if they if they uh, predicted that that's what would happen or not. Um, but I feel like that's what we've recorded here. Well, and to make some more controversy, we have to pick the book or the movie now. That's right. Oh, yes. Thank you. Before we end it, we got to pick book versus movie. Uh, yeah, uh, I got to collect my thoughts. Do you have a do you have a, a clear winner for you? I'm very torn. Um, if and it's not OK to say this, I'm just going to start off by saying it's not OK to say this, but take out the over- overt sexism and, and everything that was going on in the 50s and everything that that was sort of built into the story. And I think I, pre- I, I think I prefer the story of the book. That's just where I'm going to land on it. We've talked about things we didn't like about both, and I think it's really problematic. I think there's there's stuff in in the book that is definitely very problematic, but I prefer the story to the... It, it feels very... It feels monumental like when you think of the story mm-hmm. in terms of sci-fi and fantasy, and it's just like sort of a landmark book that people can look to and say, this is where this came from, this is where this came from, and that yeah. I think the legacy of that is worth noting, and just be aware of the fact that it's problematic and that it's from the fifties. Um, with that, I think I prefer, you know, I, I do think I really enjoyed like the sort of race allegory that they built into the movie. And I, it, I think it worked well. And, you know, I think you mean the Bob Marley stuff, like the Bob Marley the, stuff, even okay, just building in the Bob Marley stuff. And I don't film. know that that is necessarily reflected throughout the movie, but that scene in particular tries to sort of tries to do something that I admire for sure. Right. And and even if it's not like the racial lines of it all, the just just the story of like spreading joy and happiness instead of spreading, you know, hate and and all mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And and the way that like that's sort of what makes the world go around, I think, is a good message. And I think that it worked well in a story that's really about like the death of humanity, you mm-hmm. know, to show that like beacon of hope and like still seeing someone who who believes in like 
the happiness and joy and everything like that, holding on to that that humanity of, of Bob Marley. I liked all that. I'm taking the book. Well, that does remind me of something else we didn't we didn't touch on, um, probably because we're just we're two white guys and we didn't think about it as much. But I think that this was an important moment to have, a, you know, a person of color be in this role, in a role that traditionally is played by a white dude. Yeah, true. And um, I think it was a big moment for a lot of people. And I think, uh, you know, I want to give the filmmaker credit and I want to give Will Smith credit. Um, you know, it sounded like I was taking a shot at him earlier when I said that it's also Will Smith on top of being a overall, you know, but I'm not, I, I'm, I'm a fan of Will Smith and I think he does great work in a lot of his films. Um, I just felt like here they were, they were trying to have Will Smith, the action star, Will Smith, the charismatic guy from men in black, um, which I don't know if that movie was out yet or not, but you know what I mean? The independence day, they wanted that Will Smith on top of this hard boiled rundown um, survivor of the sto- of the book and those two things didn't necessarily mesh very well and it felt like they should have in the direction I think that he should have been pushed in one direction or another uh, I think more towards the hard-boiled survivor um, not his fault in my opinion yeah and I agree just in general to, to Will Smith like shout out to him because clearly he carried this film like there's nothing yeah. but him on display in this movie it's him and yeah. against everything so and like that 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 tense scene of him going through the dark, like, I thought he was killing it. You know what I mean? I was so there right. with him. So, yeah, I want to shout him out. So, um, I'm with you, though. You know, I think this story, this book, is so important. Um, it's it placed in history. We've touched on it a lot. That ultimately, it's it's the, it's got a um, clarity of vision to it. Whether or not you agree with that vision, it's there. You know what I mean? There's a specific thing Richard Matheson was trying to do, and he did it. This movie feels muddled. It feels it feels confused. It feels like it didn't know what it was trying to say. And because of that, it feels all over the place. So I just can't give it to that movie. You know what I mean? Like, I have to give it to the source material, even though I have criticisms. I have things that I don't necessarily co-sign. Um, so for me, it's going to be the book, which sounds like we're we're uh, in agreement again. I think we're in agreement more often than I kind of thought we would be so far, at least, d- doing that this year. Yeah. Um, it, you know what's funny is like it doesn't it doesn't surprise me when we're along the same lines most of the time because when you really analyze something I think if you're similar minded people it's gonna it's gonna turn out like that more often than not yeah um, we'll see we'll see I think there's gonna be times where we'll where we'll disagree I can think of a few in the past where we where we yeah. did so yeah um well, stay tuned I guess um but shout out to Stephen E and Jamie D for commissioning this you guys uh it was it was definitely it was definitely something trying to cover this right now in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic of you're listening to this later like we're right in the middle of it um right now you know it's 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 on our minds constantly so dealing with this right now is definitely experience and uh if you would like to put yourself through it then uh then pick up this book and and watch this movie and 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 uh you know let us know what you think uh yeah i'd be curious to see some takes and you know email us ink to film at gmail.com yeah i i don't know if our patrons did it intentionally sort yeah, of have this project land here intentionally but it it's kind of uh an interesting coinky dink um it, it, it's been an experience i will always remember when we covered i am legend during the pandemic um, right you know the covid19 pandemic so it's oh, and definitely been something interesting to, to sort of put in place historically and speaking of uh speaking of this adaptation and this project i think we're going to cover the last man on earth the 1964 uh adaptation uh for this for this book um i've heard good things about it um, never seen it before. I don't think you have either, right? No, I have not seen it. 
Yeah, so I think what we're going to do is we're going to cover that as a bonus episode for our patrons. So if you are curious about how to listen to that, go to patreon.com slash ink to film. Uh, just for $2, $2 pledge, you get access to all of our bonus content, which at this point is in excess of, I think we're getting like 25 different episodes, uh, many of them for these like alternate adaptations. Um, so definitely check that out um, if you're at all curious. Yeah, and if you like this episode, please let us know in the form of a rating or review on Apple podcast or wherever you listen, we're on everything. Um, we really appreciate those and it helps get the word out there for the podcast. So, uh, you know, we can get new listeners and continue to grow this thing. Absolutely. And connect with us on social media. We are at ink to film on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and also join our council of inklings on Facebook. Um, that's where I post a lot of polls and I post a lot of news. Um, I know a lot of people have been sharing around, um, things that they find cause I share them on to that site. So if you want to be, uh, up to date on like the latest adaptation news and stuff that's going on on the internet, I'm, I'm, I'm usually pretty steeped in that and I, I share it on there. So it can be a good resource for that. Thank you, Ross Bugden, for the use of our intro and outro music. So speaking of the Council of Inklings on Facebook, if you wanted to join that, we're going to post a poll, actually, to determine our next project. Um, we actually haven't decided what it's going to be. So um, by the time you check this out, uh, the poll will be up. So check it out. We'll have a couple different options on there, and you can vote for whatever it is you want to hear us cover next. That's the Council of Inklings on Facebook. Check it out. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap up our coverage of, of I Am Legend. Yeah. Uh, it was a quick one week one week project. Um, yeah. It's nice to do these every every once in a while. I feel yeah. like uh, I'll de- like I said, I'm going to remember this. But absolutely, it was an experience. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I do hope everybody out there who's listening is you know staying safe, staying healthy in these crazy times. Um, you know, just take care of yourselves, everybody, and and do the smart thing. Um, trust the experts. Uh, <laughs> that's kind of the subtext of our entire coverage here. I hope. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can all get back to normal soon and get back to our normal lives. Looking forward to that. Um, But, yeah, we're going to leave it here. Uh, Until next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.